Hey everybody, you are listening to Burnline on Concerts That Made Us. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. episode i'm chatting with lauren and jason from burnline an exciting country pop band i know you're going to love we chat about the formation of the band the recording process for their debut ep and what's it like being a gay artist in the country genre all this and more so before we get talking to the guys we're going to take a listen to their track running so without further ado let's get on with the show I don't know when it started Feels like I'm slipping underneath In the deep Some days when I am needed Just want them all to let me be Set me free of hating me and you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. I can't wait to share your story and your music, of course, with the listeners now. I, I love it. I've been doing a deep dive on it ever since I uh, was introduced to it. It's some great stuff now. I really appreciate it. 
We opened the episode with your song Running. It's off your debut EP, which was released on the 23rd of September. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Uh, sure, I'll jump in. Um, the lyrics were kind of prompted by a convo with a friend um, who was getting divorced, who was starting a new career, trying to raise twins. It was just like, it was one of those calls where you just kind of go, wow, you're spinning a lot of plates. Like, uh, and somebody I highly respect that, you know, was awesome before all of the things and not that any of the things aren't awesome, but they're, they're, they're things as adults, we spin a lot of plates. And, um, I kind of joked with her. I was like, man, you're just running, you're running all the time. And, uh, kind of don't forget the awesome individual you are at the heart of everything. Right. So it's like, please remember to take a minute and breathe and get a drink with the girls and, and just like stay connected to yourself. Don't get lost in parenthood as awesome as it looks, um, or your job or, you know, your significant other. It just was one of those, I felt like Jason took the music to this really cool place and it's fun and it's poppy, but like some of our songs, it's, it moves and it drives. But when you listen to the lyrics, it's like, it's a little deeper. It's, um, a reminder to not lose yourself. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that with a lot of your songs, actually. You know, they are, like I said, there's a great sort of melody to them, but the lyrics, they really kind of hit you deep, you know? There's a lot of meaning behind them. Yeah, I think our goal is always to say something. Uh, pretty melody, just really catchy, kind of lure you in, but uh, not just talk, but to really speak to people. And what was the whole process for the debut EP like from conception right up to release? Oh, my gosh. Jason, you want to jump in? It was kind of a whirlwind. Sure. Um, actually, we know each other through a a um, mutual friend who introduced us when we needed a singer for a pink tribute band. And Lauren stepped in and we did some shows for that. And then COVID hit um, and it kind of we put it on the back burner. And at some point. I forget if I reached out to you or you reached out to me or we just kept in touch and we're, and we're like, well, we got some, you have some original ideas. Let's get together and see if we can put some music to it. And the whole thing kind of started. I, I came out to uh, Pahrump just outside of Las Vegas and uh, we sat down over a day or two and wrote what it was eight or 10 tunes in one shot. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and not one of them was, was, you know, sometimes you hear a song, you're like, oh, that's a nice hook or something. But the rest of the song is kind of lacking. Um, they were all just they all had really good content to it. Nice hooks to them. Nice vocal and, and vocal hooks and music to them. And uh, we just decided to kind of run with it from there. That's not something you hear very often now that in the space of a day, you you were able to just, you know, it just flowed out of you. Can you tell then when you're, you know, writing a song, working on music, can you tell if it's going to resonate with listeners or if it's going to be a bit of a hit i think so yeah i mean i think so i think it was I'm trying to think if it was willie nelson or somebody said if the song writes itself in about three minutes it's a hit and if it takes forever for it to come together it just isn't it and so i think there's really amazing chemistry i mean i have so much respect and love for jason just as a human but when we get in a space together and kind of start jamming, it just kind of works. And I know that's a rare thing, having done music for so long. Um, so, yeah, the first time we jammed, I was just like, I was begging him. COVID had hit. I was like, please just come sit and we'll just see what happens. And what happened was pretty magical. And before you know it, we're sitting in a studio in East Nashville uh, jamming with some of the best that pop country rock music has to offer and um and it's just kind of launched over this last year and it's been pretty pretty exciting i could imagine i could imagine and what was the response like to the release it's been really good um it's kind of a pinch myself kind of a thing right you are in hiding and writing and and trying it out at the occasional music festival and seeing how people respond and Pretty immediately, people were coming up saying, you know, like the song Shave, it hit home. They had just gotten a divorce and starting over is is brutal um, or running. They're going, yeah, I am swamped with my life and I'm not mad at my life, but 
it kind of seemed like we tapped into saying something relatable and common in an uncommon way and people kind of dug it. So since the release and people getting a chance to hear the full studio version, um, we got all kinds of really cool notes from all over. It's really something special though. And you know, you release something and it instantly resonates with people, you know, you get that feedback straight away. It lets you know you're on the right path, I suppose. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we get into the history of Burn Line, I always love to ask, can you guys remember your very first musical memory? Um, yeah, mine was uh, sitting at one of those organs at my grandparents' house, trying to figure out songs by ear. And then when we stopped going there, I'd, I stopped doing it, I guess. And I guess that, that was my first musical memory was just was putzing around on an organ and just seeing what kind of sounds I could make. Oh, interesting, interesting. What about you, Lauren? Um, I remember making up songs when I was little. Um, there was this big field across from our house. And I have this distinct memory of just like spinning, right? It was some little lyrical thing that I'd come up with, some little mini song and just like running around spinning it and singing it as loud as I could. I, I loved I loved making things. I loved creating. And I, yeah, I think it will, it was another 20 years after that, probably before I actually sang it out loud to anyone, any songs that I'd ever written. But uh, I just remember loving that. And what was the point growing up that made you realize you wanted to go into music as a career? You wanted to be a musician? I'll jump in. I feel like I was always such a kind of a nerd. I loved band, but I played instruments. I didn't think I could sing. So I kind of just hung out and played a little bit of the guitar and piano and loved the saxophone. I played the sax for years. Because um, you weren't really supposed to pick the arts, right? You were supposed to pick math or science or, you know, first it was international business. So I took Japanese. I you were supposed to just get the grades and pick the really good lucrative career. <laughs> so you, uh, so I kind of pursued that. And it wasn't until I was sitting at a bar when I was like 22, 23 with some friends. And there was a whole lot of whiskey and somebody put my name into karaoke. And then they were like, dude, you can sing. And I was like, ah, you guys are just drunk. Well, <laughs> play that out. <laughs> Play that out at you know a few weeks later we kept going back to the same karaoke bar and again drinking more whiskey and just trying out new songs and they were like no dude you have to like do this and I think it was something I always wanted but I think I needed a, a thumbs up an external kind of like no this isn't crazy so by the way you're going to be playing sax on the next album just to let you know <laughs> no. so uh, I'd, I'd brush up if i was you brush up it's i still have it i still okay. have it right ah, breaking news right here huh breaking <laughs> <laughs> news yeah i don't know jason you shifted gears pretty drastically too yeah, i'm a i'm a full-time musician that's all i do right now um, i've been full-time for about 10 years and I was in, uh, had another career before, and I got, I guess I got my start on my 33rd birthday. I got three guitars from my mother, my sister, and my fiance at the time. I guess they didn't talk very much. Um, <laughs> and just never, just never put guitar down. Just never put it down. And got, got, got with people at open mics and stuff like that and kind of looked at the possibilities and said, uh, I could make money doing this. Can I make enough money doing this? And then one day I just kind of took the jump and then, Started playing piano as well, and and uh, here I am. Thirty three, though, that's incredibly late to kind of start, isn't it? Yeah. Why did it? Why did it take so long? Do you think? Uh, everything that I do that's worth anything, I always do late. So I, I, um, I was never never an early bloomer. I was always a late bloomer with things, and it just takes me time, I guess, to internalize it. And uh, I'm not really one to say. Um, I'm 33, I'm too old, or I'm 50, I'm too old. It's, I want to do this, and how do I do it? I actually love that, though, because 
the majority of people would be thinking as they go through life, oh, you know, that door is shut to me. I'm too old. I should have done that when I was a teenager or in my 20s. But I actually love that because it just goes to show that you are never too old. And if you're 40, 50, 60 and you want to be a musician, go ahead and pick up a guitar and, you know, try to learn. Yeah, just don't don't quit. That's yeah. the key to most stuff. Just don't quit. Was it um was it hard then at that stage in your life? You know, you'd obviously have more commitments than earlier in your life. Was it hard to find a time to work at it? Um not really. Um it was at a point where I think I may have been I started when I had my old career and uh that was right before 2008 and my career was in finance insurance so it became real difficult to find a job anyways. So we, we spent an entire year just drinking forties and playing music. <laughs> that was kind of my, yeah, my musical initiation. Um, and I did it with guys who, who loved to jam, who just loved to take a chord progression and just see where it goes. So I'm really comfortable jamming with people. Um, and you know, the other side of it, I can play scripted stuff, stuff that we wrote, but it's much more fun to kind of explore it and see what what idea comes out of that especially live that's a lot of fun to do yeah yeah definitely definitely and we'll move on to burn lane's history you guys met through another project but how did burn lane actually come into existence well i want to backtrack because i think it's funny to say so i thought jason was a scammer because i didn't know we had a mutual friend so i randomly get this message and it's like hey what do you think about this project? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I literally ignored him for like a week. And I just figured it the next, I figured the follow-up line was going to be, oh yeah, can you book the studio? We just need your credit card number or whatever. Cause I didn't know we had a connection. And so then it was like a week or so later, a friend of mine was like, Hey, PS, this guy's going to reach out. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> sure. I've been blowing him off like a total creep. And, uh, and they hightailed it out, him and the rest of that band, and we connected. And um, I don't know. I just, you know, you meet people and you just feel like they're going to be important. And that was kind of the thing with Jay. It was just like, I mean, he's a Jay man. Like, it just, it was always going to be a thing. COVID, it was the silver lining to the pandemic and everything kind of coming to a halt. I had a lot to... I mean, songwriting, whether it comes out like lyrics or poetry, it's like, I need an outlet. And that's always been my outlet. And I think at a certain point, I was just like, please, you know, come jam with me, come help me get some of this out of my system so I can move on from the frustration and the sadness and all the whatever happening in my life. So um, he came and like he said, we sat there for like a day and a half and we had almost a dozen songs probably eight or nine of them were completely completely finished and a few more we just well you know he had to get in the car and go home and and we ran out of gas and it was like okay you got to come back because this is something yeah yeah jason anything to add to that um no she pretty much covered it the the, the nice part about working with lauren is that when she comes with an idea it, at the very very least it's it's a vocal hook and you can do a lot with a vocal hook but most of the time she comes with a fully developed vocal idea and that's what attracts me to to put the music to it is that it it sounds awesome it's interesting so that's i think part of the part of the the attraction with the music and the and the words together i've heard that a lot though that you know throughout COVID, you know as bad as it was the whole world was at a standstill but a lot of musicians actually, I don't want to say we're thankful for the time, but they use the time very wisely, you know, to kind of reset and refocus and, you know, perfect their music and work really hard on it. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. There was a lot of a lot of downtime, uh, not a lot of gigs happening for me. So we had a we had a little more liberty to kind of flesh it out, get a better idea of where we wanted it to go. So that was that was nice. I was going to say it's kind of a incubation time, right? It was yeah. like we had this new thing yeah. and we got to just kind of sit in it for a minute. For me as a vocalist, I felt like I had um I had used what I was given and kind of done what I could, but it, I really took probably a year to just do vocal lessons and kind of stretch and 
find new notes and ideas. So I felt like when we kind of shot out the other end, when the world opened, I was able to bring more to the ideas. So for me, I was kind of thankful. You know, it's been two years since all that happened, since you guys came together. How has your approach to working together sort of grown or matured over the time? Well, I, I still get in a car and drive to Las Vegas, so that hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> I think I asked him once, I was like, so you're like, you're like into this. And he goes, I would not be driving to you to sit for two days and riding with like, if I didn't love this. And I think there was once he was in a bar in Mexico and I randomly get this text and he goes, you are the reason I love doing originals. I want you to look in the mirror tonight and say, I am the reason J-Man loves playing originals. So <laughs> occasionally we send each other little love notes that are just like, if you don't know it already, I dig this and you're awesome. So yeah. I think, I think it's just, I think it gets a little more seamless. I think that we can read each other better, right? Every time. Um, this last show, the EP release in Vegas was a blast and like any live performance, it wasn't perfect, right? Things went wrong. People started in the wrong, whatever. And I just think as we play, we get more comfortable and we just kind of ride it out where it goes, gets more and more interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, what's, what's your opinion on it? Well, I mean, just, just the whole studio process really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Uh, not not only for you know songwriting and things like that, but for production and you know engineering and just watching experts do their thing. It kind of feeds into that next writing process. So now I'm thinking, okay, whereas before we may not have been focusing too much on backup vocals or you know a, a, a riff or something. Now I'm kind of more focused on that and kind of seeing if I can bring that out there before we go into the studio with it. We had a really great producer in Nashville. A really great engineer too, um, just experts at what they do. So it was it was nice to kind of sit, be a fly on the wall, and kind of see how they did their thing. Yeah, big shout out to Mary Bragg and John Estes out of Nashville. Crazy talented. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that it was originally for a, a Pink tribute. You know, that's kind of more rock pop. Was it always going to be? You know country with you guys i think uh i think lauren's original vision was was that it was country popish she had um you know visions or i guess sounds of uh, uh lap steel and that kind of not not i don't know if you hear that a lot in modern country i don't know much about modern country but um it it, it had that country sound to it i think she always came to the table with that idea from the start I think I suckered Jason into the country world. I think it was a bait and switch, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. I was yeah, you like, did. come on over. Let's play some music. By the way, this has pedal steel strings. <laughs> and <laughs> we're going to Nashville to record it. And he's like, whatever, I'm in. So <laughs> I think for me, I grew up with, you know, Stevie Ray and, you know, the whole bluesy gritty sound mixed in with these bluesy singers like Bonnie Raitt and Susan Tedeschi. But I mean, I grew up with a ton of country and did rock for 10 years in Seattle. But when I imagined like my sound, it was just going to be a gritty bluesy country with a hook that everybody would want to hear played at every hole in the wall bar from here to Georgia. So. And Jason was there uh... Was there that kind of country influence in your history? Not really. I kind of always shied away from from country, especially the new stuff. Um, a, a lot of the stuff I guess I heard, and not to you know impugn anybody's efforts because they're a hell of a lot more successful with it than I am. It just seems sort of formulaic. It's always got a a truck in it. It's always got four chords in it or three chords in it. It's just this, that, the other thing. Um, it's always I was talking about the same themes. I was always more attracted. I guess I really didn't know it until I thought about it to older country. It I just for some reason, I don't know, maybe it seemed more, you know, musically genuine or something to me. I, I don't know. But um, a lot of my influence, I mean, I, I'm, I'm I was born in the 70s. So I'm, I'm 
I have in my DNA, I've got Jim Croce and I've got, you know, James Taylor and all those singer songwriters who just them and their guitar. That's the kind of sound that really attracts me. Um, when I really started focusing on actually listening to music, it was kind of late 80s, early 90s. So, I mean, I know most of the 80s bands and the 90s, 90s, like better than Ezra. A lot of people don't know that band. They're out of Louisiana. It's a, a trio, really great songwriting. You know, sim simple, not not simple music, but not overproduced, just good vocals, good songwriting and and, and a good a good uh, a good lick or a good a good uh, turn of phrase or turn of music. Yeah. Yeah. And what is the music scene like in in Las Vegas and Tijuana for up and coming newer bands? Is this uh, is there full of competition? Um, something about, about, uh, living down here is that it, it's a lot more calm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of scene for music, a lot of open mics. Um, it, and it's kind of a weird demographic because in, in Tijuana, uh, you don't get too many Americans out and about, but place like Rosarito, which is, you know, 30 minutes South, you have a bunch of Americans living there, older, retired. So you'll hear a lot, you'll hear a lot of American rock. Um, but you hear that in Tijuana too, but you hear more, you know, more banda, more Mexican music, more music from, from here. So, the, I mean, the scene, the scene is great. There's a lot of really hungry musicians down here. I have to ask, though, you know, I've never been over there and we only get exposed to Mexico and Tijuana through movies and TV. And it seems, well, it's always made out to be like a mad, crazy party town or party area what is it really like is it, it really it really isn't especially after during and after covid i mean there's places you can go in any city and you can get crazy if you want to um tj just has that reputation but it, it's actually most of the people are very very nice if you take take a minute and you know learn spanish that goes a long way respect goes a long way yeah yeah, um, it's it's I got to tell you, the, the food scene here is without equal. If you ever make it down here, I'll take you out for sure. <laughs> That's one thing I've always said is I'd love to try genuine Mexican food, you know, the way it's supposed to be, because I imagine it's completely different from what you get in restaurants. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you get a lot of Tex-Mex in California and it's just kind of it's just been bastardized. The nice part about Tijuana is that because so many people from different parts of Mexico and the rest of the world come here, I, I hate to say it, but they try to they try to cross, they get stuck in TJ or they come to Tijuana and they stay. The the fusion of the food is just amazing. You've got everything here. You've got everything from every other part of Mexico that's here, and it's it's the best people, the hungriest chefs just working on it. So it's it's really an unparalleled scene. You never get bored eating here. <laughs> That's good to hear. It's good to hear. I'll have to definitely add that place to my list of places to go anyway. And yeah. Lauren, what's the scene like in Las Vegas? I love it. I really love it. I think coming from the scene in Seattle, it was like you, once you got an in, I feel like it's not, I feel like music is interesting in that everybody's kind of doing their own thing. So it doesn't feel, I've never experienced it feeling competitive. I've always just felt like you kind of work your way into this family and everybody's just curious about what your project is and figuring out where it fits and you know a medley maybe people start bringing you onto their bill for different shows in Seattle it was very much that but Seattle is they call it the freeze but like if you're a local you're a local and you're in but if you're a transplant it takes a bit and what I've experienced everybody's a transplant first came here I started going to this piano bar in uh, downtown and by the end of every night I'd made friends with the piano player and the bartenders and the table next to me and I'm also not a shy person so that isn't a rare thing for to happen but I felt like I made some really good bonds with musicians and um, the scene is really really warm and welcoming and because it's such an insane hub for entertainment there's so many places to play. There's so many musicians that are hungry to get involved. Um, we put together a band pretty quickly um, for the EP show and for the next six shows we've got in November too. So 
it's, it just feels cool. And, and nobody has this ego to it. They could be, you know, rock of ages could be what they do from whatever time to whatever time, you know, on these days. And then they want to go play a hole in the wall bar with you on Tuesday. So everybody just loves being in it and they generally get excited about creative projects. And for me, it was a good affirmation to have so many people quickly say yes. Once they heard our stuff, it felt like, you know how that goes when you get a thumbs up from a musician, it's kind of like, okay, maybe, maybe we do have something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And is there much, you know, much call for country music in Las Vegas? Cause you know, when you think of country, you don't really think of Las Vegas. No, no. <laughs> and I, I was a little, well, and then we'd play a lot in California too. And I honestly had moments where I was like, I don't know if this will catch on here in this region, the Southwest. I mean, it's a whole lot of pop, rock, blues, all that jazz. But once I started kind of poking around, there's a handful of really awesome country bars here. Um, and not just the standard gillies out on the strip. It's There's a lot of people coming from other places that are bringing that need for bluesy country rock sound. And um We've been pretty fortunate. Yeah, we had a good turnout and a lot of people are here from Nashville, either moving here or moving back home. Uh, half of our band has lived in Nashville and they're just bringing all the things they've learned back to Sin City. So shockingly, yes, people are digging country music in SoCal and Las Vegas. So it's been good. It's great to hear. It's great to hear. And something I'd love to hear your opinion on is... You know, what is it like to be, you know, a, a gay artist in the country scene? I imagine it's not one of the most accepting genres. Um, historically, probably the least accepting. Um, I told somebody, I think that's why I leaned into rock all those years ago. I had just seen some artists try to come out um, and not be able to keep their careers. I think I knew that the South wasn't ready for an out artist. Um, if I were in another genre, I think I'd think about it less, but yeah. I do realize that I even had a chat with our marketing person. And I just, at first I was going, I don't want to, you know, gay it up on our social media. I don't want to tag it as such. I don't want to promote it. I kind of just want to make it about the music and leave me out of it. Cause you know, there's so much more about me than just who I want to date and marry. So, but once I thought about it, it's so important for visibility. And right now is such a key time in Nashville. Some of the top artists are out. Brothers Osborne, that duo, one of the brothers just came out and is headlining major tours and festivals. And um, there's a few other female artists who have come out and in a weird way, we stumbled into the right time for country music to be most accepting and open. And um, I have moments when I think about playing some country bars where I wonder how that'll go. But I think at this moment in my life, I kind of am in a spot where I just kind of don't care. So, well, Lauren, what, what you're telling me is that the next idea I had for our next song titled I'm super wicked gay probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> no, I'm into it. I'm totally into it. We'll play okay. it. We'll play it at every pride from here to New York. So right on. no, right on. I think, I think, but that's the evolution as any individual, right? You want to be your truest self. And I feel like with music, you have to show up in the most authentic way or people see right through it. They can't sign up for it. They really don't lean into you as an artist if you're just showing up halfway. So um, country's difficult. It's been hard for, I think, a lot of those artists that have come out, but I think it's super important. So we're just kind of leaning in. It's, it's great that it is more accepting. Do you think that, you know, I mean, across many areas of the entertainment industry, you know, when someone comes out, I feel like they get labeled. And do you think that it kind of takes away from the music a bit? I I worried about that at first. I didn't want to be the gay country artist, but I think as it becomes more prevalent and it becomes a non-issue, 
I think you've got more accepting, open, affirming pockets of country music in the South that I think as it goes, it just becomes a non-issue. I think I'll just be Lauren of Burnline and not, you know, that gay country singer. Um, my hope is it doesn't take away, but I think for the cons, it will experience the pros way outweigh it. Um, and we picked up a kind of a pocket of a following of people in the South that are out, that are just appreciative that I'm singing about a girl and they hear the pronouns and they get super excited because I'm singing their story and it hasn't been sung often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's another important part of it, you know, to give that, that selection of listeners, you know, an artist that they can be like, this person is for me. You know, they're singing for me. You know, it's great. But I always think to myself in this day and age, like you said earlier on, it shouldn't even be a thing who you want to date or marry. You know, it's so it should just be, you know, oh, you're a country singer, you know, and right. the rest of us shouldn't come into it. But yeah, yeah, it's great, though, that, you know, it's less of an issue nowadays than it is like 10, 20 years ago. For sure. And I think the next generation will push it even further. It just makes me excited. Yeah, yeah. And as a band, has it, well, obviously, it's always been the two of you guys. But going forward, would you be open to adding in more permanent members or are you always going to just keep it the two E? Um, my, my position on it, I, I may have a little more experience playing with a lot more musicians. And in my experience, um, you said it, it is the, the, the two of us were the core of the band. It's going to be... It's going to be difficult initially, I think, to find permanent players. I'm totally down for it, but because I'm in, you know, TJ or San Diego and she's in Las Vegas and we're trying to, you know, book shows in both places. She has a big core of folks in Seattle as well. And I mean, initially speaking, even just for the the financial aspect, what the band gets paid versus what uh, a hired gun or a hired musician would need to get paid. It's a little rough to have a permanent member. And, and to say, you know, we can pay you this, we can pay you that. But that being said, I mean, there are musicians for hire that are awesome players that can listen to something once or twice, get on stage with us, and also are really nice. And you can actually hang out with them and enjoy your time with them as well. And that's super important for us. I think when you spend that much time and when it's such a raw creative process, you want to be able to have good humans up there with you. But yeah, I second that with with Jason. It's kind of like it'll always be the duo. Um, I think we're in a unique spot where we're kind of putting together a Nevada crew and we've got kind of a SoCal crew and I'm currently compiling some old friends in Washington. We'll probably have a Northwest crew, people that just appreciate the music, appreciate us and um, our game to just kind of jump in. Do we get to a spot where we get to travel and tour at a larger size over many, many dates and we really want to glue some people in? I think we'll just, time will tell. But I think the core of the sound and the writing will always just be Jason and I sitting in my den, jamming on something, trying to tell a great story and and create a cool hook. Yeah. I'm glad the hear you say that now because if i was you guys i'd be like okay we have found like the perfect creative ingredients we don't want to <laughs> yeah. add anything into the mix you know but um i always ask as concert goers and concerts you've attended what concerts have made you guys do you think i i mean a couple kind of pop up my first concert was Tanya Tucker with my grandmother at the state fair in Washington. And it started to rain cause it's Washington. And we ended up having to hike it way up from our good seats that she'd gotten um, all the way back up into the rafters. I think it struck me that with live music, there isn't a bad seat. There's just something about being an earshot of live creative genius and, and just enjoying the sounds and being amongst people and loving it. But Recently, I was watching L. King and Lola Kirk here in Vegas at this small hotel. Um, and I sat down and I realized that half the band I knew, one of them had, was on our EP 
And one of them I'd interviewed, we had interviewed to possibly do our record. And I think it was this moment for like the imposter syndrome in me where I was like, I feel like as it goes, I'm becoming less and less of an outsider looking in and and more of a, a member of the community, the music community. And it just felt really special to recognize talent and have had been able to play with them and have them be a part of our journey. And I don't know, it kind of has felt like we've become more of the music community and not just the awkward people sitting on the sidelines, which is how I feel sometimes where you're going, are we part of the crew yet? Are we getting there? Are we, are we in yet? Um, but that concert was pretty special. Like here, you just played tambourine. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> no, and it's these moments. You have these moments where you're sitting in a room with, you know, some really iconic players and they're asking you your vision and you're telling them and you have this moment where you go, they're, they're creating my idea. They're playing Jason's idea. They're, they're in and they're accepting and they're loving it. And this is a thing and um, we're doing it. Like we're doing the dream and you pinch yourself. And that was one of those concerts where I was like, no shit. I know those guys. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. And Jason, what, uh, what about you? I mean, I've been to a lot of shows and I got to tell you the ones that have the most leave the most impression on me. I mean, I've seen a lot of big, big bands and big venues and stuff like that. And that's always awesome. Um, but the ones for me that are, that are more impactful, uh, like I mentioned, uh, better than Ezra, one of one of my musical influences. I saw them in San Diego a bunch of years back, and it's a it's a mid sized venue. It's belly up. It's a real popular San Diego venue, and uh, it was just a really impactful show to be that close with a limited amount of people, and it was just it was a certain vibe to it, you know, that really stuck with me. So experiences like that, I think, are much more valuable for me because there's more seems like there's more opportunity to be a little more personal to take something personal away from the experience for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And from your own gigs that you've played, what gigs do you think have made you guys as a band? Um, well, we've done kind of a limited amount. That last, that last EP release was, I think a real big step. That was a blast. Yeah. For us. I mean, the first couple shows, it was, it was kind of, feeling each other out on stage and this and that. And that was great. That was a step we needed to take. But I think this last EP release was really kind of the, the new benchmark for us. I, I think something happens too when you play. It's like you're playing the songs, but then you're performing the songs. But then you're like, you get to a spot where you're just feeling the songs. Like your brain is shut off. You're just up there feeding off of each other. And I think this EP release show here in Vegas was like, we turned a corner and we just kind of settled in and the songs were stories and we weren't thinking about them or, you know, what the change was, what the, you know, if it was, you know, what, if it was a hard break or, you know, hard stop or, you know, am I, you just, I think for me, my brain shut off and I just felt it. And Jason, I seemed like was in the same boat where it was like, okay, now we've gotten, we've gotten it up and running. Yeah, 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 you've reached that comfort spot where it's just, you know, you just go with it, like almost on autopilot mode. Totally. And you're just waiting for something, you know, the guitar player to do something cool or the audience to just lean in and, and you're just pulling from everywhere and it gets to be more and more and more. By the time you finish the set, you're just almost like humming, right? <laughs> that vibration. Yeah, yeah. And going forward, would you guys be more comfortable, you know, playing smaller venues or are you looking forward to, you know, massive venues with massive numbers? For me, it's 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 really a non-issue either way. Um, I have opened for like, I don't know if you remember the, uh, the the 80s band, the Christian band Striper. Yeah, yeah. So they're still playing. They're still making new music and everything. And for some so some strange coincidence, I had the chance to open for them. And it was it was one of the bigger, I think, the bigger crowds I've opened for. And it was great. I mean, but then, you know, I'll, I'll play a, play one of my gigs or we'll, me and her will play together and there'll be 10 people or 15 people and somebody come up after and say, hey, man, that one song, that thing you did, that was really cool. 
So it's you get a kind of different energy from 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 a, di- a different kind of show for me. And anyways, yeah, I think that's we talk about that. It's like both um, having the stripped down duo or the full band to a bunch of people both have wins. Both have really cool opportunities. Um, we just played a hotel cafe in LA and it was, you know, a smaller room and it was really intimate and wonderful. And we got to play it like a writer's round and tell stories and people were coming up afterward and it meant something. But then, you know, I've played big festivals and opened for national acts and it has that energy and it's exciting and it's cool. I think that I'm super, super excited to get to go to different areas and play different venues, just different experiences, different people. Um, But I'm also super excited to kind of get our um, Southwest mainstays um, on rotation, right? It's always fun when you can circle back to the same crop of people in Southern California or, you know, Southern Nevada and get you repeat people that just really appreciate the sound and get to say hi. And I don't know, both have wins and we're looking forward to all of it. Truthfully. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, you know, say looking way down the line now, say 10, 20, 30 years time, what needs to happen with your career for you to sit back and say, yeah, I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve. It went all according to plan. Oh, man. I know. And I think about this, too. Um, I want to write some of the best stories of our time. And that's a big, huge, lofty thing. I think that our sound is cool. And when I think about the things that I remember from music growing up, It's like there are certain stories that were told, um, whether it was really big music with lots of layers or really intimate, um, you know, stripped down performances. I just want to I want to look back and think that I told stories that people hung on to and will hang on to for decades. So uh, the James Taylors, the Carol Kings, the, you know, Chris Stapleton's, the there's these really iconic storytellers, Marin Morris, Miranda Lambert, more of the current ones. And um, if 20, 30 years from now, I could say that I had an iconic story that resonated and people kept forever. That would be huge. And also to play some of the biggest, I mean, everybody, every musician has the list, right? Some of those really key, key stages where, you know, when you get there, you would just be like, Oh, for Seattle, it was playing um, The Crocodile. I'd been looking forward to that for a long time. I got to play that. So now I'm going, well, what about the Paramount? <laughs> well, what about, you know what I mean? So yeah. for us to be able to create a really special show on some bigger stages, I'd be pumped. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Jason, what about, what about you? What needs to happen for you to look back and say, I did everything I was meant to do? Um, well, most of, most of my career, uh, in, in, as a full-time musician has absolutely nothing to do with original music. It's mostly all covers. It's a lot of corporate work. It's a lot of, um, you know, private events, weddings, things like that. As far as that's concerned, I mean, I guess I could say I made it already doing this. I get to play music for a living, but the nice part about writing the original stuff is that there's a chance that somebody out there will, it'll resonate with somebody or it, it may even, you know, get big. And I mean, I'm, I'm doing, we're doing the things that we're supposed to be doing right now to get to wherever we're going to end up. So I'm happy. It's just, it's just a matter of, of rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat and just make it, make it a better experience every time and add something new. And Lauren's going to be playing sax on the next album, you know, something like that. <laughs> I don't know about this. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. Do you realize how many women would lose their shit completely if you busted out a sax on stage? I don't even know how to do the math on that one. <laughs> but that's a beautiful thing about Jason, though. He's just like, you know what, wherever we're going, I'm in whatever we're doing, I'm in. And it's like, it's been such a cool partnership. And 
it it is a partnership. I think with business and creating and the touring and all of it, you have to have somebody that you trust completely. You have to have somebody that you love and respect. And, um, and we have that and the foundations there and whatever happens happens. And we're just, we're just loving it. And before we move on to the last couple of questions, what is locked in for the rest of the year for you guys? Yeah, we've got a little mini tour through California. We, um, finished that at a winery in Marietta and then we've got a couple benefit shows. So we've got about six or seven things cooking before the end of the year. And then January or February, we'll, um, we'll be back out and probably jump up to the Northwest to do a handful of shows. So writing, we're going to jump in and do some more writing because, you know, life marches on and the material is always there. I had an epic breakup. So of course we've got a whole nother album in the works and um, I think Jason's super excited. I am as well to get back in the studio and and do another collection of songs next year. So we'll be playing some awesome shows through the whole West Coast, and then we'll we'll be doing some writing in preparation for more recordings. Brilliant, brilliant! And don't forget the uh, brushing up on the sax. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to pick up some reeds. That'll be my next stop. <laughs> right, we'll um. We'll move on to the last couple of questions. Everybody gets these, I'm afraid, so you can't get off the podcast till you answer. If there was a band or performer from history you could see in concert for one night only, who would it be? That's hard. I've been fortunate to see a lot of my favorites. Um, I think Aretha. I think if I could sit in a room with that voice, even now, still her voice, I mean, I just, through her entirety of her life, her voice has just held such a, I don't know. I think if I, Carol King would be a close second, but man, if I could get Aretha for a night and sit way down front next to that piano, I would be in heaven. Soul, that's soul. Yeah, I get that. It's the thing you can't actually put into words, really, isn't it? It's just that pure feeling. Yeah. Oh, she just, every hurt and every happiness and all of it comes barreling out from her toes. And <laughs> you just go, I want to be a voice like that, right? Yeah. I want to be, I want to, I want to like, you know, have that amazing ability to cut through and feel like my voice is a hug and a slap in the face all at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, she's definitely a great one. Jason, what about you? Um, I would I would honestly I would see uh I would see Steve Perry from Journey. Right. And I, w- I wouldn't I wouldn't see him after the escape album. I'd see him right when he joined the band because uh him and Greg Raleigh from the guy who's the voice of Santana and a, a bunch of other projects, um, and his phenomenal uh organ player, singer. Um, they they were doing a call and response kind of thing, and it made three albums of three of three of Journey's albums before that that first big big uh, Escape album hit in like '81. It made them something really special, and I've always been you know vocally driven and everything like that. I think that that would be pretty phenomenal. Actually, I have some. I had a a bootleg or two of them. I think playing in like Denver or something in like '79, and just to listen to them. Uh, it was it was a very cool experience. Yeah, I'd say so. You actually remind me of something there. I always say, imagine being able to go back and see your favorite band at the gig that they got discovered at. You right, know, that would be epic. Yeah, they uh, they were still kind of they were still trying to figure out where to put Steve Perry at that point because they had they had one or two singers before that that really you know didn't didn't take very well. Mm. But I mean, as you know, when Steve Perry joined the band, it, that made Journey. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, they 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 were playing worldwide, worldwide stage, one of the biggest bands of the eighties, um, and that would be an incredible show to sit at. I think, without a doubt, without a doubt. And the next one, if you could be locked inside a room with any performer from history for twenty four hours, who would it be? Uh, Lauren Davis. 
<laughs> you get to do that all the time. <laughs> oh, I see. I, I'm living the charm life then. So you're I'm, living I'm the charm life. Like <laughs> literally, good. he'll be like, "We should go eat dinner," and I'm like, "But I have this one more idea. Just before we go to dinner, I just want you to listen to it." And then I see his eyes light up, and then he grabs his guitar, and we'll head out to get food at like eight o'clock because I've trapped him with all my ideas, and he gets so excited. So. Yeah, we're we're living it. We're living it. I would, oh gosh, one day I would love to sit with Bonnie Raitt. I think she is. Um, I think what I learn as a performer is to just kind of settle in and stay in my body and try to be present and genuine. And watching her, she doesn't run around. She doesn't. You know what I mean? She's not all over the place, but somehow her just being in that space, commanding her space, it has a cool presence. Tedeschi, Susan Tedeschi is the same way, just very soulful, present humans. I think if I could learn that steadiness, probably because I'm a super anxious human. So um, just to learn to storytell in an amazing way and not overdo it, just let the story speak for itself. I would love to pick their brain and sit in a room with that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's two very good ones, all right. And you know, it definitely would benefit your career, you know, to even get an insight into into their genius. Right. Yeah. I'll put yeah. that on my on my vision board for <laughs> sure. <laughs> and Jason, anyone for you? Um other than me. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So other than you. Just to just to kind of sit and pick their brain. Mm-hmm. Um Gee, that's that's a good one. The thing the thing about it is, is they say don't ever meet your heroes. I'm afraid I'd that's sit in the room for, for six minutes and then I want to kill the guy or the girl. <laughs> um, actually, you know, you know what? Who I'd want to sit with is uh, actually is Pink. Really? Yeah, because I didn't really have an appreciation for her music before we started playing it. And once I started playing it and really digging into not only the the words and the themes and everything like that, I I came to the conclusion that you know what. If I had a daughter, I'd be like, this is required listening for you. Because yeah, the music, the music without a doubt says, you know what? You don't owe anybody anything. You don't need to be number two to anybody. You can be happy and be yourself and be complete and just live your life, you know? Yeah. And and stuff stuff's gonna happen, but you're you're strong and, and you're ready and you know, just really great messages in that music. So I'd, that that's probably somebody I could I could probably sit with. Yeah, yeah, that's that's I, a good one. I second that. I second that for sure. She's pretty yeah. iconic. Yeah, yeah. My aunt actually met her once. She um she said she's one of the coolest human beings she's ever met. She was doing a she was playing a gig in Ireland, and in the days leading up to the gig, she hired a load of motorcycles for her and her crew, and she just toured around Ireland on the motorcycles. And in the village that my aunt lives in, she had stopped to get a uh, get gas and she just bumped into her and she's a massive fan and she said like she spent about 15 minutes talking to her and it wasn't like she was at this superstar celebrity she was just like so down to earth and just so cool you know right that's cool <laughs> that's awesome and if there was a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life what would it be you go first Lauren. <laughs> oh that's mean uh <laughs> The soundtrack of my life. Um, Maisie Star, Fade, Fade Into. I, that's probably one of my, actually, that's like one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, it's beautifully sad. I think I've had those moments in my life. I think if there was a soundtrack, there would be a couple chapters in there where that song would, would hit. Um, just right love loss that solitude that sadness and um leaning in fitting in uh probably maybe yeah that'd be a win for me i love that song actually and it's one of them songs i always forget about until it comes onto the radio and i'm like oh my god yes you just melt into it it's just yeah. like oh there's yeah. something 
And it's not overdone. It's not, you know, overproduced. It's just really a beautiful, beautiful melody and words. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And Jason. Because actually, I, I hate to harp on Journey, but I listened to him so much uh, in my past. There's a, a really great song. It's called uh, Still They Ride. And it's basically about, it's about a, a, a group of people. It's actually the guys on motorcycles, actually, um, riding through the town. And the town ain't the same but they're kind of still the same and they're kind of looking for the same thing and just kind of a sad kind of, kind of feeling when I go back to places that I've had, you know, meaningful moments in my life and you can still kind of recognize them, but you don't hear the same voices and you don't see the same people. That kind of, that kind of thing has always really resonated with me and been kind of a powerful, it's sad. It's kind of a bittersweet thing. Yeah, yeah. I can't say I'm familiar with the song now. I'll have to give it a listen after this, but uh, I'm sure it's a great one on Journey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the final one, to switch it around a bit, is there something I should have asked you guys? I don't know, Lauren, what do you think? I, I feel like you have nailed it. I feel like we've been able to share a lot of our story and our journey and... um. No, I think I'm just so thankful for this journey. Um, and and like we talked about, it's kind of like whatever happens, happens. It's just kind of been a blessing that has come up. And I couldn't have planned it better. I couldn't have wished for a better situation. I couldn't have um, hoped for better people to be involved with the projects. And, and as we write more and as we are looking to record some more and as we plan more dates, it's just... Um, it feels limitless and there's something about that that's just electrifying. Winter's over, think I'll save my legs. Pain will linger, we left that day. Time to see the light. Leave the dark Another cup of coffee That'll be a good start Oh, starting over is hard Oh, I'm okay with this part You may be
chills when there's no breeze. Sounds you can't explain. Foreboding feelings of dread. Sheer horror. This is Haunting Abaddon, an original podcast from Epilid Media featuring stories of the paranormal, demonic possessions, poltergeists and hauntings, and all things that will scare the hell out of you. These things do more than go bump in the night. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey! Hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.